Welcome to GI Insights on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Peter Buck, and joining us today is Dr. Harish Gagneja, who's ready to help us find the balance between science and art when treating gastroesophageal reflux disease, or GERD for short. Dr. Gagneja is an educator at the Dell Medical School at University of Texas in Austin. He has also served as president of the Texas Society of Gastroenterology and Endoscopy and is the governor of the South Texas region of the ACG. This is only a tiny fraction of all of his activities. So with that being said, Dr. Gadneja, welcome to the program. Thank you, Dr. Buck. Thank you for having me. So let's just jump right in, Dr. Gadneja. When should we suspect dyspepsia rather than GERD in our patients? So if you really look at the symptom complex, is there are some overlapping symptoms between gastroesophageal reflux disease and dyspepsia. With dyspepsia, it's more of a upper abdominal discomfort, indigestion kind of symptoms, some bloating, some gas, maybe nausea. That more points towards dyspepsia. But if patient is having regurgitation, acid reflux, burning behind the chest, retrosternal burning, that points more towards gastroesophageal reflux disease. Yes, there is overlap. Upper abdominal discomfort, abdominal pain can also be associated with reflux as well. Other symptoms which I mentioned can also be associated with reflux, but more than likely it's reflux if it is heartburn, regurgitation, etc. I think some of our primary care colleagues have difficulty in understanding sometimes why proton pump inhibitors don't work very well for what they suspect is GERD. Could you follow up on that question? Definitely. So proton pump inhibitors work really very, very well in gastroesophageal reflux disease. So you really have to make sure that the patient you're treating does have gastroesophageal reflux disease. For non-gastroesophageal reflux disease, upper GI symptoms, proton pump inhibitors don't work as well. Studies are done where they looked at whether people are taking the proton pump inhibitors regularly or not. People who are taking it regularly miss maybe one here, one there. 83% of those patients really responded well to proton pump inhibitors. But you also want to make sure that they're taking it correctly. How? They should be taken half an hour to 60 minutes before breakfast or before supper if they are on the double-dose proton pump inhibitors. Why is that? The proton pumps are the pumps which secrete acid. Proton pump inhibitors bind to active proton pumps only. If your proton pump is inactive, proton pump is of no use. In fasting state, your proton pumps are not active. Once you eat some, and it's not active. So you take the medication. Now your drug level of PPI is in next 30 minutes or so, it's really rising in your body. You eat something at that time. Now you have an active proton pump, so you get the best bang for your buck when you are giving the medication on empty stomach and eating something about 30 to 60 minutes afterwards. That's great and very useful information. And once we determine that a patient does in fact have GERD and not dyspepsia, under what circumstances do you recommend endoscopic or surgical procedures to treat the disease? Excellent question, because especially nowadays when 
there is a fear of proton pump inhibitors out there, right? So first of all, you wanna make sure that patient truly have proton pump inhibitor responsive gastroesophageal reflux disease. Those are the best patients who will respond to any kind of endoscopic or surgical treatment. That's very, very important. When people start talking about refractory GERD and let's do the surgery or endoscopic treatment or refractory GERD, nope, stop, take a step back and think whether patient is truly having a refractory GERD or something else going on. So, are they taking their PPIs regularly? Are they they're taking their PPIs on a uh, half an hour before breakfast and right time? Is there something else going on, such as achalasia or eosinophilic esophagitis? Is there any gastroparesis? Is there esophagus is moving okay? Is there contractility going is better, is, is uh, normal? So you gotta look at all those things. I tell you, there was a study done, which is a very interesting study, actually. There was a I think it was 565 patients. When they labeled those patients as a refractory GERD, and then they did the extensive analyses, only 22% or 21% of those patients were refractory GERDs and they responded well to the surgery. I would say a surgery or other procedure endoscopic, such as TIF or what we call it magnetic um, augmentation, which is a Lynx procedure. They're also good for patients with regurgitation. Very well, well done study where they looked at medical management of uh, regurgitation versus Lynx procedure published in uh, gastrointestinal endoscopy, I think two years ago, clearly showed that Lynx procedure was a better procedure for regurgitation patients. I also would recommend that you be very, very, very careful recommending surgery for any kind of extra esophageal manifestations of reflux disease, such as, which is a very big buzz, buzzword on internet and otherwise, laryngopharyngeal reflux, uh, asthma, chronic cough, or, or global sensation or constant clearing of throat. Thank you very much. For those just tuning in, you're listening to GI Insights on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Peter Buck, and I'm speaking with Dr. Harish Gagnecha about the art and science of GERD management. So Dr. Gagnecha, let's continue looking at some patient scenarios. What approach do you use for weight loss in overweight patients with GERD? Of course, I encourage medical management first, which usually fails because uh, it, as you know, the patients are not not really following the rules. Everybody's looking for looking for uh, you know shortcuts to weight loss. There's an endoscopic management of weight loss such as balloons, which is not recommending in patients not recommended in patients with gastroesophageal reflux disease. Then, if you look at the surgical approaches, gastric sleeve has shown to increase gastroesophageal reflux disease. If you're really looking for a surgical management of a patient with gastroesophageal reflux disease, which will not make the gastroesophageal reflux worse, is probably ruined by gastric bypass surgery. Actually, in the remote past, it used to be one of the operations for gastroesophageal reflux disease. Thank you. 
How do you approach a GERD patient who loses response to PPIs? Yeah, so you really want to make sure whether they have truly lost a response to PPI because usually PPIs don't have tachyphylaxis. They really don't lose response. Question is, have they developed any big hiatal hernia? Now they need a double dose PPI. Again, I'm coming back to this two important, very important points. One is that are they taking their proton and pump inhibitor on a daily basis? Are they taking it at the right time? Are they on the right dose? And also, it is very interesting. Sometimes if you, let's say you lost a, lost a response, can we switch to a different class of PPI? I do recommend sometimes switching to a different class of PPI. It's very interesting, actually. There was a study done where they looked at omeprazole equivalent, omeprazole equivalent 1.0, are the other PPIs equivalent in that regard. Again, I'm nothing against pentaprazole. I'm nothing for rabiprazole, but I can tell you what this study showed. This study showed that a one equivalent omeprazole Pentaprazole is only 0.29, I think it was, 2.7, something like that. Lansoprazole was 0.9. Omeprazole is 1. And S-omeprazole was 1.6. And Rabiprazole was 1.8. So I sometimes switch between uh, PPIs. Some people do need a double-dose PPI. So I also increase the dose half an hour before breakfast or half an hour before supper. There's also sometimes, if there is what we call it, breakthrough symptoms, then I ask them to take a H2 blocker at night. If you take a H2 blocker on a regular basis at night, there is tachyphylaxis. Most people will lose response after a while. But it's a very sound strategy if you use H2 blocker on intermittent basis at night. And I also tell my patients that as you know that you are eating a heavy meal or you're going to have some alcohol or you are eating late at night, just preemptively take one H2 blocker to prevent those nighttime symptoms. Very useful information. And as a quick follow-up to that, how would you treat a patient who is having trouble weaning from PPIs? They're feeling better and they're having trouble weaning themselves from PPIs. I will say, why was this patient started on PPI? Was there a diagnosis of GERD? How the diagnosis of GERD was made? Do they have any erosive esophagitis? If you have an erosive esophagitis A or B, which is Los Angeles class A or B, which is considered mild erosive esophagitis, yes, I would favor weaning off PPI. But if somebody had a grade C or grade D or Barrett's esophagus, I won't even favor weaning off PPI. So let's say we're talking about either non-erosive reflux disease when there's no erosions, or we're talking about grade A esophagitis, or we're talking about grade B esophagitis. I, if they are not able to wean off completely, sometimes I do, can you go every other day? A lot of my patients really benefit from every other day. If you look at the GERD guidelines, they will not suggest that. And again, I said before, we talked before, Guidelines are guidelines, and there's the art of medicine. So you also, guidelines guide you a certain way, but how you practice in medicine a certain way, and that's what I do. That's great. 
Now, we've certainly covered a lot of ground today, Dr. Gudneja, but before we conclude, are there any other thoughts you'd like to share with our audience today? Very important, I would share that our gastroenterologists, and I can tell you all the primary care physicians, most patients come to our offices and they are really talking about the side effects of PPIs. They're all really are scared of using PPIs. So when they come to me, I really give them what I call it a PPI pep talk. So that's the important thing to understand. So I really say that for the treatment of GERD, if you look at, there's a well-established benefit of PPI, which far outweigh the theoretical risks of PPI. PPI are the safest, one of the safest medicines around. So those were all very important insights, and I want to thank my guest, Dr. Harish Gagneja, for an excellent discussion on GERD. Dr. Gagneja, it was a pleasure having on the program today. Thank you, Dr. Buck. It was my real pleasure to talking to you regarding GERD, which is one of my very favorite topics. And I also would like to thank ReachMD for having me as a guest. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. For ReachMD, I'm Dr. Peter Buck. To access this and other episodes in this series, visit reachmd.com slash GI Insights, where you can be part of the knowledge. Thanks for listening.